0: You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Rutlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Um, my name is, is Jesse, and uh, I have the honor and the privilege of be of being part of the mission family and the in the teaching in the teaching team. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the suffering of the righteous. Um, sorry if I don't pronounce the word right. I have, always have trouble with the word righteousness and righteous for some reason. Um, and then I, I name it a subtitle, unconditional, unconditional Love. So the suffering of the righteous, subtitle, Unconditional, unconditional Love. And this is the case, the case of Job. And so, so before we talk about the bad news in Job, Let's talk about the good news. So in the Old Testament, if we read read Romans 8, 28 to verse 39, we find these promises given from God through the Apostle Paul. And we read the Word of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son but gave Him for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who He was raised to life, He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beautiful blessing that you have given us to be called your children, Lord to be called the sons and daughters of God Almighty. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for taking our place at the cross, and we thank you for exchanging our sinful nature for your new nature, for your righteous nature, Jesus. Thank you because when you resurrected, you also raised us from the death because we died together with you there at the cross. And And when you were raised up by the Father, We were born again as a new creation, as new women, as new men of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the the reasons for reading these passages before digging into the life of Job, it's twofold. So, uh, number one, I wanted to make the point that we have been justified. We have been justified by Christ. And what that means is that we have been made righteous before God. Uh, It's interesting that in Spanish, the word righteousness is the same word for justice. We use one single word. Whether we're talking about justice in the court or legal system here on earth, or whether we are talking about righteousness, we use the same word justice. So... What this means is that the process of justification, it, it's a process where we used to be sinners, and then we are justified by Christ, and now we are sinners no longer. Now we have been just. We, are, we became just through a process of justification. In other words, we have become righteous before, before the Lord. And again, this is not through your own making. We all know that. It is by the by the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and resurrection. He is the one who justified us because we couldn't justify ourselves. We could not make ourselves righteous before the Lord. We couldn't be just in our own effort. We couldn't fulfill the works of the law. That's why Jesus had to fulfill the works of the law. So it was through his obedience that we became obedient. It was through his righteousness, through his justice, that we became just, that we became righteous. It is our inheritance. He did the work and we became co-inheritors with Jesus. We now belong to the family of God as people of God and we can only be people of God if we are righteous. So that was the first point as to why I wanted to read those passages. And the second reason why I wanted to read those passages is because here we find hope. As uh, Danielle was saying, we have hope that in the midst of our suffering there are greater things to come and also as we were singing what the enemy meant for evil God will turn it for good regardless of what we're going through because those are our promises those are the promises to the righteous those are the promises to the children of God right unfortunately that doesn't solve a big problem a big dilemma that we have in the universe which is the problem the problem of evil uh, why is that a problem? Because as he has been proposed, the problem of evil is a problem insofar as if we have an all-good God who is benevolent, all-benevolent, if he inhabits of the definition of good, it's God himself. And at the same time, he's, he's all-powerful and omniscient. He knows everything. He, he can do anything and he is all good, then why does evil exist in the world, right? And as I was reading through the book of Job, I wanted to find that answer. I wanted to find the answer as to why the righteous suffers. And unfortunately, I couldn't find the reason. There is no reason in the book of Job, at least in the, within the text, Job never finds out why he went through the trials that he went through. He just never found out, right? So through what trials did he go to? And why was he considered righteous? So as we know the story, there was one day in the heavenly court where God sat on his throne. He summoned all the angels and and the angels were reporting to God, right? So I'm reporting this, I'm reporting that. And here comes Satan. And God says, Hey, where are you coming from? And Satan responds, I just came from going around the earth in circles. And God tells Satan, Have you seen my faithful servant Job? Have you seen how much Job loves me? And Satan is like, Ha, of course he loves you. Who wouldn't? You have blessed him with so many things. You know, he has great children. He has great riches. He has a great reputation everybody respects him everybody loves him of course he has great health he's a strong man and he's barely 70 and of course he's gonna love you why wouldn't he but i dare you god you take away his possessions and you'll see how he curses you on your own face and god was like hmm god knew job's heart and so Satan's hypothesis was that Job, the Job, I'm sorry, that Job loved God for self-interest. And that's the question that we have to make ourselves sometimes, is do we love God out of self-interest or do we love him unconditionally? We don't know what Job thought because he probably never asked himself that question. He probably never ever thought that he was going to lose all his possessions, his children right? He probably never thought that was his worst fear. He tells us later, my worst fears came true. My worst nightmare came true, right? But we we didn't know, and he didn't know that that was going to happen. So did he ever ask that question, do I love God out of self-interest, or do I love God for the things he has given me, right? And so Satan had a hypothesis, and he wanted to test it. God knew Job's heart, Probably, Job didn't know his heart as good as God knew it, right? But God knew that Job loved him unconditionally because he was a righteous man. And that is what righteousness is. It's a transformation. Yes, it is true. We don't know how we came to the feet of Jesus to begin with. I don't know your story. You probably don't know my story, right? Um, I grew up, you know, fearing hell, for example, And hell this, hell that. If you don't do this, you may go to hell. If you don't accept Jesus, you may go to hell. And I accepted Jesus out of fear when I was uh, a kid, when I was a child. And then in my late teens, early adulthood, it just didn't ring a bell to me. It's like, God, do I really love you because I'm afraid that if I don't, you're going to send me to hell? Well, even if you send me to hell, I'm still going to love you, you know, because I don't love you for what you could do for me. I love you for who you are, right? And when you, as Job, are able to say those words, it's because you have been already been transformed. Because in your own sinful nature, you just can't say that. It is not in the sinful nature to be able to lose everything and still say, present be the name of the Lord. You just can't. You have to be transformed. It, has, it is a new nature that it is within you that you love God just as He loves you. In the same way that God loves you unconditionally. He, God doesn't love you for the things that you could do for Him. He doesn't love you for the things you can give Him. He loves you for who you are. In the same way, we have, sometimes we don't even know it, but we love God also for who He is. And sometimes we don't ask this question, Do we love God for who He is or for the things that He has given us or because we are afraid of going to hell? But in reality, when we peeled all these layers of complexity and we get to the heart of it it is, no, I love God because He loved me first, period. I love God because I am like Him. He made me like Him. I am a new creation. I am righteous just like the Lord. And so after Satan is granted permission and the authority from God to go and take Job's possessions away. He does that. And then we know in the story what happens. He, he loses all his goats, all his sheep, his riches, and the worst nightmare that could happen to any father or, or parent. He loses all his 10 children, all of them. He has nothing. When he hears this news, he rips his clothing, he throws ashes on his head, and he says, naked I came from the womb, and naked I will go back to the Father. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? And so, we have another scene, and where God again summons all the angels. The angels come. They're reporting back to the Lord. Here comes Satan again. And God asks Satan, where are you coming from? Where have you come from? So, oh, I came from, you know, going in circles around the earth going back and forward. And God asked Satan, Have you seen my son Job, my faithful and righteous servant? Do you see how much he loves me? Even after what you did to him, even after I gave you permission to take his possessions away, have you seen how much he loves me? And, God sa- and Satan replied, Oh, yes, but a man will only tolerate in his own flesh so much pain. I, I beg you, God that if you take away his health a skin for a skin you will see how he curses you on your face and God said to the to Satan I give you permission go ahead and take his health away but be careful don't take his life and so with the authority of God Satan went and he inflicted great pain on Job to the point that nobody wanted to hang around with Job because they were afraid of a pandemic so Job was left alone. He was forsaken by all his friends, by all his family, and then we we see like these scenes in the book of Job where he was just outside the city gates, just uh, being naked and just on underwear on on the ashes, scratching himself with pieces of clay because the skin was the pain in his skin and the and the scratchiness was was just too much for him to to uh, to carry. And so he was just in misery, suffering. And in the midst of his suffering, he never, he never cursed the name or God himself. He didn't understand what was going through. And also, another thing to know is that Job didn't have the promises that we now have. So that's when you see a, a true transformation, right? For us, we have the benefit of having the word of God. For us, we have the benefit of going through Romans going through the work uh, work of Matthew, going through the Gospels, Job didn't have any of that. He didn't even have the law of Moses. Because another thing is that we don't know exactly when the book of Job was written, but it is thought that it was written in the post-Babylonian pre-Persian period. It was the exilic period when the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. That's when it was written. We have evidence for that. But the story of Job is way much older than that. It's an oral tradition that it was finally recorded by the scribes in Babylon. But the story of Job, we have evidence that it was during the patriarch times, more or less during the times of Abraham, probably before Abraham. Here we have a man of the land of Uz. That's Job. The land of Uz is uh, in the northeast, sorry, southeast of Israel today. And Job is not a Hebrew name. And then the names of the friends of Job's are not Hebrew either. Except for one, Elihu. He, that guy was weird. He came at the end. <laughs> but, uh, but the other three friends didn't even have Hebrew names either. Right. So Job was considered righteous in the, understanding that he, in the understanding that he had of God. But no one after Moses and before Jesus, and why do I say after Moses? Because no one after the law was given to the people of Israel until Jesus was considered righteous. No one. Paul tells us that in Romans 3. There, there is no one righteous. No one who has been able to fulfill these commandments. Right? We all have sinned and fallen short. That was after Moses and before Jesus. Right? Before Moses and after Jesus, we are righteous. Abraham was righteous. He was considered righteous before God because he believed in the promise of God, right? He believed that God was going to give him a son with his wife, Sarah, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that belief, that faith. So more or less in the same way, Job was considered righteous for the understanding and the faith that he had in God before the law. There was no law. There was no Moses. There were no prophets. There were no gospels. There were no Paul. There was no Paul back then. Job did not have the benefit that we have, right? And yet, yet, in the midst of his suffering, he never cursed the name of the Lord. He didn't understand why he was going through the things he was going, and in reality, in his own intellect, he didn't know or think or even have or phantom the idea that his health was going to be restored, that his possessions were going to be given back to him. He just didn't believe that. He was suffering in his misery, okay? And so when he was there suffering in his misery, three of his good friends hear about the situation of Job, and they rush to to Job's house to try to console him, right? um, their, Their names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And so here come these three guys without Hebrew names, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, and they see Job there at the gates of the city so miserable half naked, scratching his skin with pieces of clay. And they see his, that his suffering is so heavy, it's so much that they just start weeping. And and they don't say any word for seven days and seven nights. They just don't speak, right? What can you say? You, you, if you're seeing your your brother, you're seeing your your friend in so much suffering, what can you say when you see someone suffering so much? You know, before the service... Uh, Jeff was telling me that the Holy Spirit has been talking to him about maybe keeping quiet, keeping silence, listen more to the Word of God, listening more to the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's what we have to do sometimes. And so the three friends of Job, they were doing so well. They they were just supporting Job in the midst of his suffering, crying with him. I'm not sure if they were embracing him because they probably were afraid that they were going to get leprosy too, but they were there with him. in in their own way, not saying a word. And sometimes that's the people in our lives who are suffering, maybe that's what they need sometimes. Sometimes we just wanna rush in with words, rush in with, yeah, I wanna tell you this, I feel like I have to say something, but maybe silence is better. Maybe just knowing that you are there, it's better. I remember when I was in college, a good friend of mine was going through some trials, and I didn't have any words, but I would just be there watching movies with him, and watching TV, doing homework together, just not being apart from him, Um, and I realized that that was good. That's what he needed, plus I didn't have any words, and then after seven days and seven nights, then Job breaks the silence, and he starts cursing the day he was born. He was saying, Lord... It would have been better if you had never had created me. Why don't you just kill me? Why don't you just take my life away? It would be so much relief, right? And sometimes when we go through pain and suffering in this life, we are in the same situation. We know we're going to heaven. So why don't we just rush it? Lord, can you just push it a little bit? I really want to meet you. I really want to see your face. Why do I have to to go through this suffering knowing that I'm eventually going to see your face. Can I just see it now? You know, when I go to sleep tomorrow and I'm crying on my pillow and you see my tears, Lord, can you just like not wake me up the day after? Can you just take me in my sleep? that That was Job. And then, sadly, one of his friends, Eliphaz, he breaks silence too. Like, everything was going so well for them until they spoke. (laughs) You know, it was Eliphaz is like, Job, my brother, I have so much pain for you, and and I can't watch you going through this, but maybe you brought this upon yourself, right? Maybe you did something. Did you cheat your employees on their wages? Did you steal from the widows and the orphans? And Job was like, no, I didn't do that. I am innocent before God. I am righteous before God. I do not deserve this. And then Bildad speaks again. And he's like, are you sure? I'm pretty sure I saw you cheating on your taxes, Job. (laughs) You know, I am pretty sure you were lying and looking at women with lust. And Job is like, what are you talking about? I made a covenant with my eyes not to ever look at a woman with lust. I am telling you, I am innocent. I don't deserve this. And then his other friend, Sofar, speaks out too. And he says, well, Job, I'm sorry, but I think you're just prideful in your heart, man. Why can't you just admit? Can you just admit for a little bit that you made something wrong? And Job was like, I don't have anything to repent. I didn't do anything wrong. And Sofar was like, well, you know, maybe if you ask for forgiveness, God will restore everything back for you. And Job is like, no, but why am I going to ask for forgiveness if I haven't done anything wrong? And if Job had listened to his friends, if he had repented of a sin that he didn't do, then he would have proven Satan right. Because if Job turned to the Lord thinking that he probably did something wrong, and he now is in suffering, he wants his possessions back, Because his friends are telling him, if you only pray, if you only repent, God is going to give you your things back. And Job was like, but I didn't do anything wrong. So he didn't prove that Satan, he didn't prove Satan right. Not at all. So good thing that he didn't listen to his friends, right? And so his friends were like, they just gave up. It's like, Job, we can't change your mind. They even... Try to convince him. Look in your heart. Analyze your heart. Did you do anything wrong? Job was like, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm innocent. And the friends was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. And they start inventing and creating sins that Job never did. right? They, they make those sins up. And Job kept defending his innocence, his righteousness before God. It's like, no. And then the friends are like, but God doesn't work that way, Job. There is a concept called Restributive justice If you do good things The Lord will reward you If you do bad things The Lord will punish you That was the worldview. That was the concept The paradigm That the friends of Job Were coming from It's called a theodicy It's an explanation Of why evil exists And it was so reduced to You do good things You're rewarded If you do bad things Then you're punished And Job was like That paradigm is broken, man. I'm telling you, I didn't do anything wrong. You know what? If anything, God brought me this pain because I am righteous. So you know what God is doing? He is rewarding the wicked and he's punishing the righteous. And then this other guy who came out of the nowhere, Elihu, like, like, oh, whoa, whoa, you guys, you know, I've been sitting there quiet. I didn't want to interrupt, but this is too much. I can't handle this. You know, I'm a young man, and out of respect, I was just quiet because you guys are older, and you probably have more wisdom, but I just can't take it anymore. And I'm really angry at you, Eliphaz, Bildad, and so Zophar, because you couldn't convince your friend Job to repent, right? But at the same time, maybe, Job, did you have, have you ever realized that probably God brought this pain and suffering upon you, not for the things that you committed, but maybe... Because you were going to commit sins. But maybe because God was trying to teach you something. Maybe he was trying to build character in you. Right? It it sounded pretty convincing. If you read, it's like, yeah, maybe that's right. And then God speaks. All of a sudden. In a thunder. He was like, who is this Elihu? What is he speaking on my name with words that I never said? I never said those things. God was implying that he didn't bring suffering to Job to teach him a lesson or to prevent him from doing something bad in the future. God says none of that. He starts speaking of his sovereignty. He starts speaking of, where were you, Job? Respond to me. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? When I lay out the foundation, where were you? When I created Leviathan, where were you? Right? Have you seen the the order and the chaos that I made in the universe? Can you understand that? No, of course you can understand that. Of course your three friends and these weird like who, they can't understand that universe because you have such a very limited worldview, reduced to good things, good, uh, good reward. Bad things, punishment. If you reduce everything to that, then you miss on everything that I have created. It doesn't matter whether you're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. All the experience in the world on this side of eternity is never going to be enough to understand the worldview that God has. So why try to create these worldly or human uh, theodicies and theories about, about evil when in reality, just in the book of Job, again, this is the caveat, within the text, we never found the reason why Job suffers. He never himself knew why he went through the trials and tribulations that he, that he went to. So what can we learn from the life of Job? Many things, many things. For one, first and foremost, if you are the friend, stay quiet, right? Just pray in silence, embrace the brothers and sisters who are going through suffering. And if you're not sure that what you're going to do is going to be edifying to your brother or sister, maybe staying quiet is, is a little bit better. It's rather for... No words to come out that human words coming out of our mouths if they are not the Word of God. Right? Just like the three friends of Job and also Elihu who misinterpreted God, and they misspoke on his behalf, and God didn't like that, right? And another thing that we can conclude from the book of Job, as the worship team comes up, is, is that Job, at the end, he was human. We are human, too. But that doesn't mean we're not righteous, It does not mean that when we are going through our circumstances, that when we are going through our suffering, if we question the goodness of God, if we even doubt His goodness, there is nothing more human than that in the midst of your suffering. There is no shame. There is no shame in, in, in questioning or doubting whether God is good when you're in the midst of your suffering. God never accounted that for Job as a sin. He always called Job my faithful servant. In the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the tribulations, we're not thinking straight sometimes. Our emotions get the best of us. And we see that emotional roller coaster as we're reading every chapter by chapter in the book of Job. Job is going through emotional roller coasters, roller coasters right? But at the end, even when he says and he actually criticizes God and accuses God to reward the wicked and punish the righteous. God does not count that as a sin for Job. He always tells Satan, Job is my faithful servant. So when we go through our midst, uh, in, through the tribulations and sufferings in our life, don't feel ashamed. Don't feel guilty for feeling the way you feel. Right? Is, There's is nothing more human than to feel anguish, to feel suffering, to feel anxiety. Jesus suffered anxiety he felt anguish he even doubted God in the garden of Gethsemane too he was uh, crying weeping and and God sent angels to console Jesus and he could not be consoled Jesus couldn't be consoled in the garden of Gethsemane because he was human Jesus was human when he was here on earth he was righteous he was perfect but so are you You're also righteous. You're also perfect because the Lord has purified you. He has justified you. He has made you righteous before you. So don't mix or confuse your humanity with your sinfulness. Your sinful nature has been crucified at the cross. Do not mix that with your human emotions. There is nothing more human than to feel suffering, to feel love, to feel or not to feel God, to feel abandoned by him or to feel his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, because your promises are always faithful, Lord, and we don't know how you work. We don't even try to understand you. You're just too mighty, too powerful, Lord. But we do know with our intellect, even if we don't feel it in our hearts, Lord, what we do know with the intellect is that at the end of the day, you're always going to show up, and you're going to save the day, Lord. In the midst of our circumstances, thank you for being there With us and for us, even if we don't feel you. Even if we feel abandoned by you, Lord, we know in our intellect that you are there with us. So please send your Holy Spirit to remind us in the midst of our suffering, Lord, that you are always with us and that at the end of the day, you have given us the victory over the enemy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.